Hi, I'm Brittany Lingner. I'm only going to be here for just a few minutes, though. I'm not doing a 10-minute session. Um, anyway, so I'm Brittany Lingner, and um, I just felt like we needed to do something about Ukraine here in the States. Um, I went to Ukraine on two mission trips in 2004 and in 2006, and um, just really felt welcomed by these people to the point where um, our interpreters would come and visit us in America with their families. They brought their um, their families to visit us and partnered with my church that I grew up in. And so actually our interpreter for both of my trips, um, he is now the president of the Ukrainian Baptist Theological Seminary um, in Lviv, which is like the second largest city in Ukraine. Um, so of course in war, the big cities, you know, of course get a lot of a lot of stuff happening in them. Anyways, so they actually have four sites around, the seminary does, and they had to shut down all of the classes because, you know, obviously the war, we all know what's happening. And so they are now a transitional refugee spot. So they only really keep people that come there for about two days, and then they try to move them to places that are more long-term and helping them and their families. So we're going to watch a, a little video. The, the organization is, I mean, of course, they need lots of help, and I'll tell you in a minute after the video what all they need money for. But um, Slavic, the interpreter, is the president, and so you'll actually see him speaking and just kind of saying what's happening. Okay, so, yes, they, they need a miracle. And we're asking that you would partner with us to not only pray for them and to pray for this miracle, but to also give financially. So that was only three days into the war. Um, and so I have a, a few more little stats for you. For the first 10 days of war, they've now cared for 2,230 people. Most of them are women and children. And I think what gets me so emotional is I think about, like, what would I do if, if my family was in this situation? They have 75 members of the UBTS team. So they have groups that they've set up so that they can work around the clock because there's constantly people seeking refuge. They arrive exhausted and dehydrated. They have a nurse on site to help with that. Each one of the staff members is hosting people at their homes. Over 2,000 hot meals have been prepared and served. 186 beds are filled to capacity every night. Most families, like I said, they stay one or two days before heading out of the country for safety, and new people are arriving daily. UBTS has provided transportation to the Poland border for 1,500 people using a local network of 20 buses and van drivers. So with that, our money, what would it be used for? It would be used for ongoing supply of food to feed displaced Ukrainians. It would go towards beds and cleaning supplies to house refugees, for clothes and medicine for those who have had to flee and leave all behind, for precious fuel to keep cars running to take people to safe zones, ways to stay connected when conventional ways are impossible, and a contingency reserve of funds for quick response to emerging needs. I want you to pray of how you should give, how much you should give, if you should give to this. Um, it's upfmissions.org is the website. If you want to give later, give more later, think about it, pray about it. Um, and you can go there and donate also on the website. But I just want to leave you with Hebrews 13, 16. Don't forget to do good and to share what you have, because God is pleased with those sacrifices. Thank you. UBFmissions.org. And it's really cool, y'all. This particular um, organization, you can go on the website, and Slavic is posting videos every day, updating you know, about what all is happening and what they need. And I think, so today is day 11, maybe. And so they... Uh, I don't know if they put today's up yet, but eventually they will. A little fun fact for you. Um, I know it's very easy to say the Ukraine, and that actually is not what they're called. They're just called Ukraine because when they were under, you know, in the Soviet era, that is what Russia called them was the Ukraine. So the correct terminology now, because they are fighting, continuing to have their freedom, is just Ukraine. Aren't the kids in this church amazing? I love them. 
We recently have, um, the Lord has been speaking to us specifically about our kids, and we run a home group, and normally the home groups, they have like a little kid room, and they have snacks with us and whatever, but the Lord was uh, just really speaking to us about the children of our church and reminded me of the story where some people brought Jesus. How many of you guys know Jesus was doing some important work when some children were brought to him? I mean, he was like pretty much changing humanity, you know, pretty important stuff. And Jesus said, forsake the little children not, right? And had them come and put on his lap and bless them. And I don't think those kids realized that the savior of the world was touching them and blessing them. And uh, the Lord began speaking to me that our children are not a distraction. Our children are an example. So the next time one of them yells out in the middle of an anointed message or bumps your toe in worship, realize that your ch- that child is not a distraction. That child is an example. Amen? I can get a few more amens. Those children are an example, not a distraction. I was praying that Thursday night at a worship team meeting. And I was strumming away on my guitar, praying and releasing stuff. And I just opened up the corner of my eye at 7.30. And here comes my daughter at 7.30 at night in a mermaid bikini running around. And I don't want you guys to get any visuals. But I was thinking, I want to be so bold and fearless in God that if I get the unction to put on a bathing suit and run around at 7.30 at night, just because I felt like it, I would. And not worry about what people would think about me. My child is an example, not a distraction. And then we did, uh, we did communion at home group last Wednesday with our children. And uh, I walked them through step by step. We had little crackers and, and grape juice and walked them through it. And the basic message was, we do this to remember how big God loves us. We do this to remember how perfectly God loves us. And I said, take, take the little cracker, and they did. And we were sitting on our, our nice carpet, so I was like, take the juice, but make sure you use two hands with the juice cup. And sure enough, like they get, every step of the way, our children, okay, don't eat it until we say that, you know, the official statement of, the, of that, of the communion. And then they did. And I was like, all right, wait, we, oh, don't, drink the, don't drink yet. Wait, we got to get the juice part now. And we said the part about the new covenant and blah. And then, okay, you can drink it now. And they watched us. What an example. When we read the words of the Lord, and he says, okay, children, I want you to bless those who curse you. Bless and do not. Okay, okay, I'm going to bless them. I'm doing it. Okay, just like that. Put two hands on it. Okay, I'm going to do it. Don't put two hands around their neck. Put two hands on them and bless them. Just like children. Come on now. Unless you become like one of these, you cannot inherit the kingdom. Think of all the things that Jesus tells us to do. Are we like little children? Yep, got it. Okay, let's do it. I am not going to spill this grape juice. I'm going to do it. You know, it says, seek first the kingdom of heaven, not the democracy of heaven. With the kingdom, there's a king. And when the king says, put two cups, two hands on the cup of grape juice, you put two hands on the cup of grape juice. And when the king says, bless those who persecute you, you bless those who persecute you. And when the king says, turn the other cheek, you turn the other cheek. Unless you become like one of these, you cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So our children are not a distraction, you all. Our children are a beautiful, beautiful example to us of childlike faith. Don't get me wrong. Our kids can be childish sometimes. But I love their childlikeness. I'm not called to be a childish man. I'm called to be a childlike man.
encourage you all next time you're around children. That's what gives me is preaching on that thing. Well, this is the one time a week, Pastor, where I come and I, and I just can't have these kids distracted. I mean, you only eat one time a week? If you're only eating one time a week, there's something wrong. <laughs> and maybe there's something for you to feast on when you see those little children. It was not part of my message. Today, I asked the Lord for fresh bread, and I feel like I'm still like taking it out of the oven, y'all, because I don't even have a piece of paper. <laughs> I would keep on praying for fresh bread, and the Lord's like, you know you can't, you know, <laughs> you know you can't get fresh bread the day before. <laughs> it's like, what? Oh, yeah. I'm like, Lord, I really want, I really want to just speak something that's going to be spiritually enriching today. I feel like that's a big part of it is, is that message of our children. The other thing I want to share about, I was kind of picking up on uh, Travis's message last week about evangelism, you know? What did Jesus say? I will make you fishers of men, right? But I want us to look at that a little bit. Go to, uh, go to Luke, and he calls his first disciples. In this particular gospel, it doesn't say this one particular phrase, but there's a lot to this I think is pretty cool when Jesus calls his first disciples. And I also want us to think in the back of our mind of the story of Mary where she's anointing Jesus' feet. I want us to think about that kind of in the context of, of this, and I'm going to try to put the two of them together as I was praying. And, and uh, these two stories were just coming together for me. And as I mentioned earlier, uh, I woke up this morning at 6.33, and I just really believe there is a, a mandate. It's always on us, but to really make sure that we are seeking the kingdom. It's interesting. The Lord calls the disciples first to follow. And then a couple of cha cha chapters later, he's calling them to seek. There's a little, there's a difference. There's a, there's a journey from following to seeking. And not just seeking, but seeking first. Not just in, in the order of how much of when you do it. Seeking first isn't just when you do it. Seeking first is how much you do it. It's not just, okay, I'm going to get, I got this, this, okay. Oh, I'm going to seek first the kingdom. Lord, I want to seek first the kingdom. Okay, now I got to, I did it first. No, it's not about the, the, the priority, but it is. It's also about the quantity. Seeking first. You need to, so we need to be seeking first the kingdom first but also most. That's what that Greek word means there. It actually means first and most. If there was going to be a graph, the amount of time you spend seeking the kingdom is going to be so much more. That's going to be the why it's first. It's first in quantity, and it's first in priority. Amen. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> I'll take some encouragement. So anyway, Luke, did I, say, did I say when? Luke chapter five. I love this story. It's, it's, uh, when, you, when you get the context of this, of this story, you try to put it in our day and our time, it's pretty cool. In, verse, in, in chapter five, verse one, it says, and now it came about that while the multitude were pressing around him and listening to the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake, but the fishermen had gotten them out and were washing the nets. And maybe you know washing the nets is the thing that you do right before you go home and go to bed. They were washing the nets. And he got into one of the boats with... Uh, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little way off the land and sat down and began teaching the multitude from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let your nets down for a catch. I heard a message. I forgot where I heard it or read it, but the fish aren't normally in the deep water. Right? I, I spent a lot of time fishing, spot fishing out here off of... Uh, uh, like Lee Island area, and there was a spot that you always go because you want your weights to go down, but if they go down too far, the buoys won't. It's, it's an interesting thing. Anyway, so it was kind of weird that he was saying, go out here, but we don't normally go there, especially after going out all night, but nonetheless. 
Simon answered and said, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing, but at your bidding I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish, and their nets began to break. And they signaled to the other partners in the other boat for them to come and help them. And they came and they filled both of the boats, and they began to sink. That tells me the nets are breaking, so they've never had that many fish in the nets before. The boats are sinking. They've probably never had that many fish in, that, in the boats before. Like, this is absolute abundance. This is miraculous. This is more than they even prepared for in capacity, right? I'm going to put this in our day. And that is a lot of money. They are thinking, yes. If you've seen The Chosen, they kind of hint at Peter might have had some tax debt or something. We don't know. It's cool. But I'm sure one way or the other, they liked the money. And they were just like seeing these fish. And they were like, cha-ching, 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 cha-ching. But when, but when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet saying, depart from me. For I'm a sinful man, O Lord. For amazement had seized him and all his companions because of the catch of fish they had taken. And so James and John, sons of Zebedee, were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not fear. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, guys, catch this, they left everything and followed him. I believe in Matthew's gospel, it says you will no longer be fishing for fish. Follow me, I will make you a fisher of men. And a lot of times we skip over the first part. Those first two words are absolutely critical. Follow me. I will make you a fisher of men. We have to follow first. Before we fish, we have to follow. If we try to fish before we follow, we come across like some of them used car salesman evangelists. He calls us to follow. And as we follow, he teaches us how to fish. A couple things I want to bring out of this story. One, Jesus didn't say, now guys, I know there's a lot of money in them nets. And I know there's a lot of money in them boats. And I want you to go ahead, cash it in. You know, take it, do your processing, get all the money. No, Jesus didn't, Jesus didn't say, hey guys, um, I want you to just forget all that stuff. No, like their natural response to the voice of Jesus saying, follow me. Their natural response was to leave everything. He didn't need a three-point sermon on why they should leave everything. There was something in the voice of Jesus possessed them in a sense that can that convinced them that drew them to lay down the best day that they have ever experienced in their entire fishing career and leave it all behind and it was because there was something in the voice of Jesus there was something in the presence of Jesus that when he says follow they leave it all behind now, sometimes we get weird and we try to see that story, but we don't have the Lord saying it and we get shipwrecked because we're just trying to like copy stuff. But when you experience the voice and the presence of Jesus, it does not matter what you're letting go of. Not when you hear a good teaching or not when you hear me speaking. It is when you hear the voice of Jesus and you experience his presence. And now all of a sudden, the thing that their lives depended on changed. No longer did their life depend on fish. Their life depended on Jesus. 
No longer did their security rest in how much money they could stock up and pile up. No longer did their, their life revolve around anything but this one whose voice they heard and presence they felt and they gave it all away and they didn't even think twice. Isn't that incredible? You know, when Jesus says follow, it doesn't just mean I want you to, you know, I, I picture my wife, she uh, was a first grade teacher and they would leave the classroom and they would do these lines and they would be following Miss, you know, uh, Miss, her, back in those days it was Miss Brown, but they would walk in and she's walking in this very nice line and there's kids behind her doing this. But they were kind of going the same direction, but they were not doing it the way she was doing it. <laughs> when Jesus says follow, he's saying, I want you to be in the same way, not just walking in the same, I want you to be in the same way. Because I can guarantee you Jesus wasn't dependent on how much money he could make off of the fish that he just told them how to get. Because, I mean, Jesus was the mastermind behind the fish catch. He could have, he needed to at least get a percentage. Right? We got to stop thinking like that. In that moment, everything changed for them. In the same way that he wasn't worried about how much money he could get off of them fish, he was only worried about one thing, and that's what? What's the father doing? I am launching a ministry that is going to transform humanity. It's not just going to set a country free. It's going to set all of humanity free. Isn't it interesting that Jesus could have come up with with a little different line? Like, hey, guys, follow me. I've got authority. Oh, you're going to see you're going to see water turn into wine. Follow me, guys. You're going to see dead people get raised from. You're going to see blind eyes open. You're going to see all kinds of crazy. And you're not going to believe this. In thousands of years from now, if you follow me, they're going to be talking about our exploits in churches all over the world. Jesus didn't sell it like that. Jesus didn't, he didn't package it like that. He simply said, Fear not. Follow me, and I will make you a fisher of men. And they gave up everything. I want to live that way. I want to live that way. That the kingdom that I live in and the one that I'm locked eyes with is the only thing that is calling the shots. There's a scripture somewhere that says, and their God was their stomach. Wow. And it says they love to have uh, teaching that actually tickled their ears, all this stuff. It's like, no, I want my God to be Jehovah God, King of kings, Lord of lords. And he's my God because his word and his presence bids me to come and die. I love that song. The cross bids me come and die that I might find that I truly live. These men found something far superior than fishing and abundance. Some of us are chasing abundance more than we're chasing Jesus. Some of us are chasing comfort more than we're chasing Jesus. I want us to picture Mary in that room. We were praying about this at, at, uh, at prayer this morning. And I just felt, as we, I, was, I was praying, I just felt the, the spirit of God on it. And I feel like there's something for us in this. Picture G, uh, Jesus at the table, reclining at the table. And then you've got Mary with her tears and her expensive jar of, of perfume. And she's there. And what is it about Jesus where, 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 where fishermen leave all of this money on the table and where Mary leaves all this perfume on the table? What is it about Jesus where the thing that culture would value so much becomes of no value whatsoever when Jesus steps into the room? 
What is it about Jesus? Have you encountered Jesus in such a way that the things of your culture grow strangely dim? Where the pursuit of your heart is no longer that. Where that perfume is no longer so important to you because you realize that the one whose feet you're anointing with it is of extreme, I can't even put words around the picture that I'm trying to paint right now, but something happens when you're in the presence of Jesus and the great catch doesn't matter anymore. The thing that used to drive you doesn't matter, doesn't drive you anymore. The perfume and the, the year's wages that it says, I forgot how much I said, but it was a lot of money. And in that room, there was only one voice that Mary actually cared about. There was only one set of eyes that Mary wanted to see. It was Jesus's. How many of you know in that room, other people got really uncomfortable? And that's what that was our prayer. I was like, God, I want to be, I want to have the kind of hunger for Jesus that makes other people uncomfortable. Not for uncomfortability's sake. That's not my gauge. I'm not like, okay, they're uncomfortable. I must be doing it. I'm not doing it like that. It is like, I'm not even looking at what's going on around me. I don't even know that you're uncomfortable. I don't even know that you got Judas over there saying, oh man, she should have really sold that and we could have given it to the poor. Judas didn't care about the poor. He wanted the money for himself. I don't even care about Judas's whack motives. I don't even care about people judging me and acting like I'm crazy. As long as I've got a hunger for Jesus and I'm at his feet and I hear his word and I'm in his presence, I don't even care. I'm not even aware, I'm not even aware that other people are getting a little bugged out. I want to live that way. Because I know in that, that kind of life, that kind of laid down, surrendered life, the fish jump into the boat. The healings jump into the boat. The shadows begin to heal people. When they're living a life absolutely surrendered, there is no striving. There is only deeper desire and there's only greater yearning and there's even more longing to see more of him fill my life. Jesus' voice and Jesus' word changes everything. How can you imagine the power of the gospel for those people? When they were so dependent before, they needed more, they needed more, they needed more, and all of a sudden the good news came in. It's like, you don't need that anymore. I'm all that you need, and if you seek me first and my righteousness, all of these things will be added to you. Can you imagine the good news of that? Jesus stepping into your world and saying, don't worry about your debt. Don't worry about this problem, and don't worry about that problem. The good news is here. The king of kings is here and there's something about his presence and there's something about his voice that makes me forget everything else because I know according to his word, everything else will be handled when I give my full allegiance to his kingdom. I encourage you today to let the Lord step into your striving if you've been striving and I feel like the Lord says, follow me. Let it be the voice of the Lord. Let it be the whisper of the Holy Spirit. Whisper to you today, follow me. And watch what happens when the word of the Lord begins like a seed. I love that analogy. Usually the word of the Lord comes to us. It doesn't come to us as a tree. The word of the Lord comes to us as a seed. And that thing will take over. And you're going to find yourself not trying to tell yourself, oh, I should do this or this. You're just leaving stuff behind. You're dropping fish. You're dropping perfume. You're done. It's like, it's like, that's not even like on the grid of importance anymore. This is what happens. We were at home group the other night. It was the most beautiful thing. We were just praying in the spirit. Just making room for the Lord. And a, a couple came and they were just there with us. And as we're just in the presence of the Lord, all of a sudden the man in front of a group of pretty much strangers says, I need to repent. It began repenting to his wife. Like, what? And something happened. 
It was powerful. As soon as that happened, I'm on the floor and I'm just like, holy God, holy God, consume my life. Holy God, let there be no idol within me. Let there be no resistance in me, God. And it's a wild and it's a crazy prayer and I won't pray it for you because I can't. But I'm like, Lord, anything that's in the way that's causing resistance, it's fair game. I don't, I, I'm not going to do it this way. Your voice, your word, the seed, it's growing in me. And like I said at the beginning of the service, I thought I knew what surrender was yesterday. But today it's another level of surrender. And I thought I knew what dependency on the Holy Spirit was yesterday. But there's another level of dependency on the Holy Spirit that the Lord is inviting me into. And as soon as I think I'm there today, guess what tomorrow brings? Another invitation. Another invitation to surrender all to Jesus. This isn't a message of being irresponsible. This isn't a message of being childish. This is the message of the gospel when the word of the Lord and the presence of the Lord fills your life, things begin to change. And when I say things, I don't mean things around you, I mean things in you. That's the power of the gospel. It changes things in us. It changes the value system that we have been polluted by. The Lord just reminded me of something. I'm going to try to tie this in, but in Luke, uh, in Matthew chapter nine, it was so good. Uh, Leximon, you preached. And I thought you were about to preach this message from last Sunday in Matthew chapter nine. You know the story. The officials' daughter, or the official, came and bowed down to Jesus, worship, and said, "I need you to come. My daughter's not dead." And Jesus walks into the room. And it says he sees the flute players. How many of you know the flute players were probably playing a, a death song? The flute players saw a dead little girl and they started making music accordingly. And it says somewhere that there was a crazy crowd of disorder in the room. So you've got a crazy crowd of disorder. You've got flute players playing a death song. There's mourning, I'm sure. And then Jesus says, she's not dead. She's only sleeping. And guess what? Everybody fell down on the ground and began to worship him. No. You know what happened? They laughed at him. It literally says they laughed at him. They laughed at him. What does that mean to us? When we begin to live that way, we might get laughed at. But I can guarantee you Jesus' ego wasn't compromised. His ego wasn't touched. Because when we hear his voice and we know the reality of the kingdom and we live by the spirit of God, our ego's on the cross. The opinion and the fear of men, it's on the cross. And as they laughed at him, he shooed them out. Sometimes following, no, not sometimes, always following the kingdom means you got to change the things that are around you. If you are listening to music or putting things into your life that is not lining up with the word of Jesus that says she's not dead, she's only asleep, you got to do what Jesus did and say, get on out. I cannot allow, I do not have enough, I don't have time to waste with things in my life that are speaking to a situation that God has called. No, I'm going to rephrase that. I don't have time to entertain things in my life that are confirming a situation that the Lord has caused me to change. I do not have time to waste entertaining things that are confirming earth realities when the reality of heaven is this situation is not dead. There's life here. And laugh at me all you want. I am living according to a higher standard and I'm living according to a better word and I'm living according to the gospel of Jesus that says this is not dead. She is not dead. She is only sleeping. Young people here today, I'm about to get a little preachy. 
Some of the music you listen to is only confirming the death around you and the Lord is calling you to raise it up to life. Old people here today, some of the shows and the news you watch is only confirming the death around you and the Lord has called you to rise up and speak life. We got to get the flute players out. We got to get the flute players out. Jesus shooed the flute players. Jesus, he shooed the, the crazy crowd in disorder. And I love this about that story because even science, even science said that girl was dead. Whoo! Even science said that girl was dead. And science bowed its knee to the word of the Lord. I believe, I believe in science. And I believe science might need a seat at the table, but it cannot be Jesus' seat. You cannot put science in Jesus' seat when he is our king, when he is our Lord, and his word says she's not dead, but science thing is she is dead. What are we going to listen to? We are going to stand on the word, and we're going to shoo out science, and we're going to shoo out. Don't get me wrong. Science has had tremendous breakthroughs, but it cannot, I know people who've allowed science to sit in Jesus' seat. You gotta, you gotta scoot them on down. Science should not have the place of honor. It's like that guy who sat at the place of honor and is like, oh, no, no, no. No, how embarrassing. I'm sorry, bro. Like, you don't have enough weight to sit there. You gotta have to go, you gotta go sit at the kitty table now. But how much more important, how amazing is it when you sit at the kitty table? I don't know, I'm going off, I'm going, I feel like I'm chasing a rabbit right now. But you, in humility, sit somewhere. And it's like, no, no, no. I want you to sit here, there's honor there. Science needs to be put in its place and get out of Jesus' seat. Because science bows to Jesus. What is it about Jesus? What is it about Jesus? that a year's worth of wages seems absolutely enough for one meeting to just pour it on his feet. What is it about Jesus? To, who knows how much money was in, that, in the, that, those nets in that boat? What is it about Jesus when you're walking on the road of Emmaus with him and your heart is burning in you because he's teaching He's unpacking everything. And then you get, it's getting dark. And all of a sudden, you're just absolutely wowed by his teaching in the moment. But then it, it looks like he's going to go somewhere else. And you say, no, no, no. What happened? There was an invitation. There was an invitation. Jesus, no. It's not just enough to walk with you on this road. It's not just enough to be wowed by your amazing teachings. It's not just enough for my heart to burn a little bit. No, Jesus, why don't you meet me back here next Sunday? And we can walk on this road once a week on Sunday. Because i got to have my heart burning at least once a week. So Jesus, instead, you know, you go on, I'm going to go home. And then next Sunday, same time, same place. 10.30 in the morning. I mean, you, you guys, you get what I'm saying? No, what do they do? They invited Jesus into their home. Jesus' words are powerful and they will transform and there's something within us that says, I don't just want to be wowed by a good teaching and I don't just want to be stirred by this walk. I want Jesus to come in to my very home and I'm not talking about brick and mortar, I'm talking about me. Jesus come in. It's so interesting in that story because Jesus takes the bread. He takes the bread at the guest's house. Can you imagine how many men in this room have a nice grill? A Traeger, a pit ball, something nice. There we go. Can you imagine me rolling up into your house and starting up your grill and cooking food on it without any invitation whatsoever? That's like a no-no. Putting on your apron, putting on your chef hat that says kiss the cook and all that stuff. No, that's like, you don't do that. Jesus walks up into their house and he breaks their bread. What? When we invite him in, there is nothing on the table that he can't touch. We don't just want a nice burning heart conversation on the road. We want a life absolutely filled that when he comes in, 
He breaks the bread of our lives. He touches our bank accounts. He touches our children. He touches our lives. He touches our idols. He touches everything. Oh, no, 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 no. No, listen, let's go back. I, I'm just gonna, I wanna go back to the road. That was a lot less, that was a lot easier. I wanna stay on the road where I can just have a good burning heart conversation. But I don't want Jesus touching my bread. I don't want Jesus, no. An invitation goes forth and we say, Jesus, I need you to fill me. You are my life. You are my life. I seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. Come in. Nothing in my life is off the table. Just as long as I have you. Just as long as I have you. I will not worry. Some of you, the Lord is trying to touch your worry and you're like popping his hand. No, that's my worry. No, I'll handle that. No, he's touching your worry. Jesus is touching my oldest son. And I want to be like, nope, I got, I'm going to, I'm going to. And he's just like, no. You invited me. There's nothing off the table. Let him in. There's something about Jesus. There's just something about Jesus. That everything changes when we hear his, pres- we hear his word and we're in his presence. There's just something about the good news that eclipses all of the bad news of our lives. There's something about Jesus that commands our lives be laid down in absolute surrender. And I don't want to stand before you as painting a picture as if I have arrived, but I can tell you right now that hunger for that is increasing in my life. The hunger to be completely possessed is increasing in my life. My value for Lord Jesus, my value for King Jesus, that seed is growing. I just want to bless that. I just want to, prophetically, I want to say this, that that has been happening in this church, that there have been seeds in our lives and they are starting to take root. And we think that it's been a long delay and we're just getting, and the Lord is like, no, these roots are going down deep. Because what you're asking for requires stability. And that's what roots do. Roots provide stability. And part of our root is being rooted and established in love. Being rooted in and established in him. And he's pulling out the weeds of idolatry. And we're surrendering all these things. It's not even like he's pulling them out. It's like we're, we're pulling them out because we realize that this idol is like absolutely dung compared to the priceless gain of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. It is the grace of God to move on a life. And we're just like, oh, that's got to go. That's got to go. I'm not getting religious about it. This is the voice of God in your life. And we are crying out that we would hear his voice. And we're crying out that we would make room for his presence. And what we're crying out for, it requires roots. What God, is, what God wants to do in any of us requires roots. Roots take time sometimes, y'all. Roots take time. Like I said at the beginning, the journey from follow me to seek first the kingdom. (laughs) Isn't that a wild journey? Like I'm following you, Jesus. There's something about your name. There's something about your voice. But then Jesus flipped. He's like, now I want you to seek want you to seek. The Lord is calling us to seek. The Lord is calling us to hear his voice and respond. 
the Lord is calling us to not just walk with him on the road to Emmaus, but to invite him into our homes and allow everything on the table to be touched by his presence in his hand. Isn't it beautiful that the Lord commands so many times in the book of Acts, where Paul writes this, continually get together, continually get together, and what does he say to do with bread? Break it. It's like, I want you to remember when you sit down at home group. I want you to remember when you sit down with a friend for lunch and you break bread, let that meal be a reminder to you and to your friend and to this community that nothing is off the table. You invited me in. I want you to remember the new covenant that I have established with you. I want you to remember that first love moment. Do this in remembrance of me. Get together continually and break bread. Pray, worship, fellowship, devote yourself to teaching. There is something powerful when with grateful hearts we gather together and we break bread because it's in the breaking of bread. It's like the Holy Spirit's like, that's it. That's it. I've done a new thing. I've done a new thing. Would you stand with me and let's just pray together? Or if you want to sit, that's fine too. But I just feel if you're if you're neutral, stand. <laughs> if you receive better sitting, sit. But I just uh, Jesus, there's something about your voice. Father, I pray that above all, that anything that I share today, that there would be in some small way just a reminder that it is your voice that gives life and that we all need it. We've got to eat for ourselves. We've got to hear for ourselves. And we invite you right now, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. You guys know that the Holy Spirit isn't just a vibe. Holy Spirit is literally God's presence in us. Lord, I repent for any time I've treated your Holy Spirit like a vibe. Your Spirit is you. Your Spirit is God with us, God in us. So when we say Holy Spirit, We're inviting King of Kings, Lord of Lords, holy, worthy. Lord, mark this day, mark this moment that a new place of hunger has been birthed within us for you, God. That this moment would be a catalyst moment. We were sharing about this earlier. For a catalyst moment that we would go and something would be different within us from this moment forward. Where the things that used to matter don't matter anymore. Where the hunger that we used to think was so great is like nothing compared to this new longing for you, God. You know, there's a... um, One of the things the Lord taught me very early on in my walk with the Lord was to go to him with that which I do not have. So like when I'm in need, I go to him, but it, that works with even like uh, the, one of the, the prayers that changed my life. I was driving down the road late at night just in a place where I could just something wasn't right inside of me. And I said to the Lord, Lord, I have no desire to serve you, but I know that I should. Would you give me love for you and hunger for you, Lord? Because I can't keep going back and forth and trying to do what I, what I think you want. I, I just need you to give me a love for you and a hunger for you. And he answered that prayer. And it was a humility, actually, in acknowledging that I can't even love him and serve him the way I, he wants me to without him. You can't love Jesus like this by yourself. But you can ask him to fill your heart with love for him. And there's a practical thing that all of us can do and humble ourselves and say, Lord, I want to love you like that. I I don't love you like that. And, And maybe I don't even want to, but I want to want to. 
Lord, would you meet me in my weakness and give me a passion for you and a love for you? Lord, would you give me those things in my heart? Would you do a work in, the, in my heart by your Holy Spirit where the love of God has been shed abroad in my heart by the Holy Spirit that I would love you with the love that the Father loves you with and I would love the Father with the love that you love the Father with and that I would be one in your love through the Holy Spirit. We need his help to do that. And today, if you'll just, in your heart, in your heart, if in your heart you mean it, you say, Lord, help me love you. Let me love you like this. Let there be nothing in my life that I care about more than I care about you. I can't do that in my own strength, but Lord, I'm asking for a work of the Spirit to be done in me, that I would love you the way you deserve to be loved then the Lord will come in and he will meet you in your weakness and he will begin to cultivate something of the spirit working in your heart to where you begin to see Jesus. And let me tell you, when you see him, you will love him. It's the eyes of our heart opening up to see him the way he is. And many of our eyes have been clouded by the things of the world, the thing, desire for other things. But when he, that vision begins to come alive in your heart and you begin to see him the way he is, you're going to love him because he is altogether lovely. Lord, you are altogether lovely. Open up our eyes, Lord, to see you. Open up our eyes to see you, Lord. Unplug, unclog all the stuff in our life that's hindering us from knowing you, hindering us from loving you, hindering us from doing life with you, from seeking first the kingdom of God and your righteousness. You know, I just want to call, I, you know, Paul had a dream last night. I'm not sure, but I, I, I feel like there's some of us that need to return to the Lord in a sense. There's a return to our first love. And you can come back and say, Lord, I, here I am. Have your way, Lord. I'm tired of fishing all night and catching nothing. Because that's what happens when you fish without Jesus. You catch nothing. All your effort, all your strength, you're just you're like a dog chasing its tail. Lord, draw us back to you. If that's you today and you want to come back to the Lord, you want to get right with the Lord, just come on up here. We're going to pray with you.